Okay. Well, here we are in our final post-Trinitarian <laughs> conversation. Mitch, yeah. we are uh, explored the Holy Spirit yesterday. Mm. But what's been happening in the last sort of twenty-four hours since then? Oh, what's what's been going on for you, man? Uh, hiding from the heat <laughs> in the peak of the daytime, and then playing out with the kids in water. That yes. was like. So yeah, good. so like five o'clock when it yeah. cools down yeah. outside. It's just lovely. Amazing. So good. Yeah. No, we uh, had some family over and we sat out on the balcony. I took my shoes off and put my bare feet on some cold tiles. Mm. George was doing some water play and splashing all over my feet. It's amazing how cool feet can just cool down your whole body. Well, yeah, it's part of, it, part of, um, yeah, thermoregulation. Come on, so, hit me with it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, yeah, your feet just control a lot of you. Body temperatures. So Here that's why in winter, you know, you want to have warm feet. Yeah, heads, hand, and feet. Yeah, I reckon so the, the extremities. Yeah. There you go. Not just it's theology, a little yeah. bit of biology. Yeah, when I, when I used to work in the pools on the hot summer's day, I'd regularly just stick my hands into the pool because mm. you couldn't jump in, you weren't allowed to. Mm. I'd just do that to stay cool and help a little bit. Is it because of the increased, um, like, vessels and stuff in your hands and feet and head that make it so hot? Possibly, increased blood I, I don't know about the biology of it, but I just know that I have you. promised our listeners yeah. biology <laughs> lessons today Mitch it's okay oh, I'm, I'm a scientist, scientist. Yeah. yeah I just found that oh, I don't know just having cool hands would help just keep yeah, cool. yeah. I guess same in winter like when you've got freezing fingers it's yeah. the worst yeah yeah. Do you remember in the like early noughties when it was super trendy to wear beanies, even in like the middle of summer, like those sort of hipster beanies? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, yeah. I never got onto that. Man, I feel like I gave myself heat stroke almost <laughs> once, like just trying to like be super trendy with a hipster beanie oh, on like a forty degree day. I was more of the, <laughs> the chain guy wearing the, the wallet with the chain. Guy. I had the chain. Like remember the chain in like yeah. the U shape? I thought you were maybe talking about like flavor flames, <laughs> like no. some gold bling. No, I would have like the chain. That was sort of my thing. And the when you go swing have like your swimmers like halfway down your oh, yeah. legs and have your boxes yeah, yeah. showing that was yeah, like the Mark Wahlberg Calvin Klein yeah player. that was like the underwear. Yeah. yeah I remember doing that a lot yeah, yeah. I had I had multiple movies. youth leaders who were always hiking up my pants they're just like nobody needs to see your underwear <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. apparently it was cool Some, I actually I saw somebody doing that just the other day really and I was so struck with how out of date that was yeah it's like so Twenty, it's like twenty years ago. Maybe they just forgot to wear a belt. Anyway, we're Possibly. dating ourselves. Mitch. We we're are, dating we, ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. One of the ladies in the movement class, um, she shares my birthday, sixth of October, mm. and I was like, "Oh, she's like, how old are you turning, Mitch?" I'm like, thirty-five. She's like, "Ah, oh, I'm turning 84. She goes, "I have nothing to look forward to. You have lots to look forward to still." <laughs> No, look, I think that the big thing is just recognizing that fashion is cyclical as well, you know, and just realizing that at a certain point very soon, because we're in like, I think, 90s fashion at the moment again. I think we are, yeah. So I was saying to Em the other day, I'm like, by the time George is like a teenager, it'll probably be like noughties fashion again. again. It'll be like emo. Dust out out your old teenager clothes. That's it. That's it. Get get the the old beanie out. (laughs) Well, Mitch, we um, yeah spoke about yesterday the Holy Spirit as mm. the third part of the Trinity. Would it mm. be fair to say maybe the most enigmatic member I, of the Trinity? I think so. And I think the most forgotten, like how we mm. had that slide, the forgotten member of the Trinity. And there's mm. a few books out there. Mm. I think Francis Chan had something like The Forgotten Holy Spirit. And there's, mm. literally, I think there's literally a book called The Forgotten Part of the Trinity. So, mm. yeah, like I said on Sunday, I think there's a... We can kind of resonate with God as Father and Jesus as Son, mm. but yeah, the idea of 
the Holy Spirit can seem a bit esoteric, a bit abstract, which mm. is why I think we often say it, not he. We don't personify the spirit as a person. Yeah. Even and though we know God's a spirit. Yeah. But that's what like I was somehow say. but I think in our mind, because and it probably doesn't help because of our Christian artwork, we picture God the Father as an old bearded man. Yeah. And we can imagine Jesus as well, he should be looking Middle Eastern, but tends to look quite sure. European a lot yeah, of our yeah, artwork. Yeah, yeah. But you can kind of imagine that, but when you're imagining the spirit, how does he look? And it's like, well, spirit, so invisible and like a dove, form. apparently, according <laughs> to most Renaissance artworks. Yeah, well, even that picture I've got of the forgotten member of the Trinity, it's a dove. And the actual, um, even that picture of Jesus' baptism, it's actually not described as spirit came looking like a dove. It's like the spirit descended like a dove, not as sure. the form of a dove. So, yeah. And so then, what is this, what's the significance of that? What does that um, mean? So, so not a not a not a shape of a dove, yeah, probably. No. Um, so going back to Genesis, the spirit of God hovering over mm. the face of the waters also could be fluttering. Yeah, you could translate as fluttering. Yeah. and then when Noah's flood, there's a lot of play on rock. Sure. So you got wind and the yeah, all that. Which creation language? Noah's flood's like a second creation or yeah. decreation, I should say. The yeah, the sure. whole earth was water before yeah. creation. Then. Yeah, Noah's flood the world gets the factory to, reset. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and so you see the interplay of rock there with the wind, and then the dove going out. It's a sort of that sign of peace, mm. and then a hovering. You mean, there's there's many symbols of Jesus' baptism. One of them's sort of tapping into that new creation sort mm. of language, of, mm. and even Noah, like yeah. the dove. So yeah, I somewhat argue that yeah. Before Noah's flood, God says, "My spirit will not contend with them." And there's a bit, a bit of tension about does for 120 years. Is there 120 years until the world is flooded, or humans will only live to 120 years? Mm-hmm. A little bit of mm-hmm. debate about that. But at that moment, God said, "My spirit will not contend with them. I am not going to be with humans." Mm-hmm. Because if you take the best reading of the text, mm. the best and most difficult is that the Nephilim are like half demonic, half human. Like that's how the Jews read it: was the yeah. sons of God slept <laughs> with humans and tried to. Almost super, supersede the curse put on humans of death, which is so, so fascinating oh, when you look, then look yeah. at the New Testament in how the curse is actually lifted by the God Man, like God becoming man. It's like they're trying to make a Jesus, yeah, essentially. In yeah, advance. and maybe maybe not as fully realized and understanding yeah. the significance of that, mm. but it's crazy. Yeah, it is just so bizarre. The nephi feeling we've kind of gone way off tangent. No, that's cool. Right. But yeah, so um, this is the place to do it. It is to go off tangent. Yeah, we're worried not having enough content to talk about. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get the there. spirit provides. Um, I, d- I did have a student um in one of my mauling classes ask the teacher was Goliath a nephi feeling? Oh yeah, I, I always said nephilim. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. The giants. The giants, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of part of that idea. That's the best and most ancient reading is Mm. the sons of God in Genesis 6. Sleeping human women producing these half-human, half-demonic kind of creatures and gods. Mm. Part of the curse is wiping them out. And that idea of, yeah, God's spirit not contending with humans, the dove of peace, Mm. Oh yeah, like God smells the aroma of the sacrifice that yeah. God makes, yeah. and it's like peace. So it's like, hey, the rainbow. Mm. There's no Hebrew word for rainbow, as we know a color. It's an archer's bow, which you know, pointing up to the sky, so mm. to speak. God's placed a curse upon Himself, and now here with Jesus coming, the Spirit um, 
as a dove flutters, hovers, mm-hmm. uh, remains on him. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is the one who baptizes mm-hmm. us with the Holy Spirit. So yeah. That was a dense sentence, but that's all right. It's good. It was it's a good. dense sentence. So if you're at home, you can, you can rewind. rewind and play. <laughs> but let's try and stay as much on track as possible, as much as this <laughs> yeah. is the place. And I, I take full responsibility no, for that. Right. That's that was good. my thought. That's but good. I think one thing that is really beautiful to pull out of that is that <clears throat> what is happening at Jesus' baptism with the Spirit descending like a dove mm. It's playing on first the Genesis 1 imagery mm. and then the illusion that the text of the story of Noah mm. is then taking from that. Yeah. I, I always kind of like to use the phrase, it's almost like the Noah story is like a Tarzan between yeah. the two. You've kind of, it's the missing link and mm. that connection is made so much stronger when you appreciate not just the Genesis 1 imagery, yeah. but then the Noah imagery yeah. as well. And all of this imagery is building up on one another to then come to a place with Jesus baptism mm. where you now understand the spirit yeah. to be hovering to be like a dove all of these mm. images coming together to clearly point towards this yeah. idea so in all of this we have this disembodied spirit mm. that is very relational and very mm. personal and has its own agency uh, which is obviously unified with God the Father and God the Son but it does have you know each part of the Trinity has its own agency mm. which is really mm. interesting um, so then we've spoken about before this idea that you you pray to the Holy Spirit like any other member mm. of the Trinity that that is kind of that, that that's fine and that's acceptable and that can be um, I think appropriate in mm. certain places depending on what you're asking God for yeah. um, but we see that this idea of the Holy Spirit working throughout the Bible um, also has this I suppose leading towards the promise of the gospel mm. and this is something that we didn't fully get to explore yeah. yesterday um, but this idea that the Holy Spirit is part of both the promise of the gospel and then the fulfillment of the gospel. So do you want to talk first a bit about the promise that the yeah. Holy Spirit has brings of the gospel and then we can mm. talk about maybe the fulfillment. So, the promise, just to kind of quickly reiterate, was one of the problems in the Old Testament was the Spirit was limited to certain people. Yes. So Moses identified that in Numbers 11. Oh, I wish all God's people had this had the Spirit. And Joel um, too talked about in the last days, you know, your sons and daughters will prophesy, old men will dream dreams, seeing visions and all that. And so there was this idea that in the last days, which is sort of, we're in the last days technically, mm-hmm. but like when the Messiah is fulfilled, when God's rule and reign is fully established on this mm-hmm. earth, God's spirit will be yeah, present across all the earth and, mm-hmm. and with his people. And so... Yeah, the great imagery there of Ezekiel with the Valley of Dry Bones yeah. coming up, yeah. as well as the Spirit just restoring creation yeah, itself. is That's important. So mm. that's sort of part of the, the background promise there is that, yeah, only certain people had, had the Holy Spirit. And so in coming into the Gospels and Mark, is it, Mark 1, 8, John says, I baptize you with water. And so the spirit is often linked with water. Mm-hmm. So Ezekiel talked about, I'm going to sprinkle you with water and you'll be clean. Mm. It's like, well, clearly this is a bit deeper than just any old water. It's, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ezekiel himself dives into this river that ends up yeah. going deeper, deeper than his head, mm. you know, and this yeah. idea of being fully submerged in this river of life that's yeah. coming from the temple. So, yeah, this is often those little interplays with God's spirit. God's spirit represents fertility, hence, like, you know, sire. Mm. 
the spirits coming will restore yeah creation as i fully fall through i'll pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground i'll pour my spirit on your offspring mm. so there's that idea there and so when john comes in he's baptizing in the jordan river mm-hmm. and the jordan is a significant river because it's the boundary between the promised land and the wilderness yeah and yeah as part of that john's sort of enacting in the last days he's prophetically acting out mm. what god's spirit would do sure. internally and so john's i'll baptize you with water he will baptize you with the holy spirit the idea is like okay the messiah is going to come to bring in the last days what joel spoke about what mm. ezekiel saw what Isaiah mm. foretold and in john 7 38 jesus kind of takes a whole bunch of passages i'm not mm. really sure exactly what he's direct i think he's just alluding to a whole bunch of scriptures mm-hmm. but he says here in john 7 38 whoever believes in me as scripture said rivers of living water will flow from within them but he cement the spirit whom whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So John, he mm. gives you those great time markers and great little like commentary on it. Because yeah. imagine at the time, people are like, what? Yeah. Living water will flow from within them? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you read a John commentary and there's like, this whole excerpts on like, where was Jesus? Mm. Like, what was he quoting from? But yeah, it'd be fair to say most people agree there's, Certain allusions to Ezekiel forty-seven, yeah, with that temple vision of the river starting as like a little trickle and yeah. getting yeah more and more bigger and deeper and yep. bringing flourishing to yeah the land and so it seems like mm. Jesus yeah that's what he's talking about. It's not just some sort of water that will become like water fountains, yeah. but it's like will be channels of God's spirit. And, yeah, and the linking of water and the spirit came in john 4 with the yeah. samaritan woman like yeah, jesus yeah. said hey i'm gonna offer you water you'll never thirst again yeah and she's like what like mm-hmm. you don't have a bucket man how are you gonna get water he's like yeah. oh, no, i'm talking about something deeper here and yeah. so jesus already made that link so mm-hmm. it's not totally thrown but yeah john's comment it's that's really helpful for us it's like okay he's talking about the spirit who would later receive mm-hmm. and so it, that's kind of that idea here mm-hmm. is that john's really riffing uh, really alluding to is that jesus is the one who will baptize mm-hmm. us with Holy Spirit. So, so that's, that's Ezekiel sees a prophetic vision yep. of a new temple mm. with a river that seems to be, for multiple reasons, a supernatural river mm. running from underneath yeah. the, the, the temple. And then Jesus is bringing in this new gospel, this new mm. message, this news of us all being turned into God's holy temple where his spirit will dwell in us mm. and thereby just like Ezekiel's perfect temple rivers of living water mm. will flow from yep. us as we are filled yep. and I think that this is a really interesting thing which you brought up as well just the correlation of water to life mm. which I think even though we live in a very dry country we have water on tap and can sometimes forget just what water signified for mm. a first century Middle Eastern audience that Water wasn't just something that you just flicked on a tap mm. and you you know had pouring into you. It was a precious resource which brought life and mm. fertility and prosperity. Um, so yes, a supercharged image mm. to say. So this is all of the sort of the promise yeah. of, of this coming fulfillment. And then we see something really interesting at the end of John mm. um, where Jesus almost sort of as a prophetic sign act on the cross... Um, mm. Starts to embody this new yeah. age. It does let me pull up? I'll pull up the passage properly. That, um, so 
So it's from John 19, when Jesus is hanging there on the cross. Um, and it's only, only time you find it in scripture is John. John, this is what's good about reading John with the other synoptic gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke. Is, um, so here we go. So I'll read a little bit. I'll read a bit of context. So this is from John 19. Um, uh, let it go from 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately water and blood um, flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate report. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. These things um, happened in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, none of his bones will be broken, and they will look on the one whom they pierced. And so there's a few images happening yeah. there. So Jesus' bones not being broken. It's like the Passover lamb. Yep. Passover lamb wasn't broken. <clears throat> and that's that, well, it's that first scripture from Exodus 12:46. And then John quotes from Zechariah 12:10. They will look on the one whom they have pierced. And Zechariah 12, 10 says, And I will pour on the house of David, David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Mm. Um, oftentimes, I think it kind of taught, oh, when the soldiers pierced Jesus, the way just to see that he was dead or mm. John's adding it in there to sort of prove that Jesus was human because mm. there's a bit of teaching at the time that Jesus wasn't actually human. Yeah. We talked a bit about this last week. Doceticism, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And doeo he only appeared. Doeo in Greek means seem. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. I call it doceticism. Jesus only yeah. appeared to be human. It's like, yeah. oh, let's see, Jesus was human. And that's why John's like, hey, I'm an eyewitness. I saw it. I, yeah. I saw what happened, the, the water and the blood coming out. But because John links it with Zechariah 12.10, mm. we're meant to think about it a little bit deeper. Mm. And so... Blood in the, the Old Testament was used for purification, for mm -hmm. sacrifices. Um, human blood never was. Human blood was like, unclean, mm -hmm. undefiled. But because of Jesus' blood, there's a cleansing from that. Mm -hmm. And because John's riffing off, well, thinking about Zechariah 12.10, that spirit of grace and supplication. In the NIV, it's got spirit in lowercase, but in Hebrew, it's just ruck. Mm -hmm. So there's mm -hmm. no upper or lower cases. Yeah, yeah, so there's, yeah. yeah, God's spirit pouring being poured out upon the city. And so we're meant to look at this in a deeper level. And it's a, like I said, a whole raft image is Passover, but mm. also this idea, oh, that, that water coming out. It's yeah. almost like Jesus, the spirit is coming out of him. And yeah. even Jesus' side being pierced, kind of riffs a little bit off Adam having his side. It's the same word sure. in Greek, which yeah, they yeah, use yeah. in Genesis in the Greek translation. So the side that Eve came from. Yeah, and yeah. so in a way too, it's almost like Jesus is like you know, the source of our life. Mm. The blood is cleansing. Mm. The water is the spirit sort of yeah. symbolically coming out. There's yeah. just a real cool interplay mm. of images happening here. And yeah, we've mentioned it before about Ezekiel's temple, but like, yeah, water from the beginning in Eden, like there's four rivers yeah. flowing out from that mountain, which... <clears throat> Yeah, the ancient world, they believed there was what they call a world mountain, which was the source yep. of all life. Genesis yeah. is saying Eden was that. It had yeah. rivers flowing in four, four different four directions yeah. uh, over all the world. And so, yeah, that's just this. So what I love about the New Testament is you see how much of the old is mm. like a, like a, like a, I don't know, I don't know the right word, 
like those blankets that have lots yeah, of different like patterns. Patchwork quilt, patchwork quilt, quilt. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. The patchwork quilt is beautiful because it's got different patchworks in there. Yeah. And so that's what we see here is that, yeah, you could just look at um, John nineteen thirty four and think, oh, yeah, like they pierced him just to see if, yeah, yeah he was dead. But like yeah. we actually meant to see something just that little bit deeper. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and mm. Jesus is the one from Zechariah chapter twelve ten, who's one who will give the spirit of grace and supplication mm. upon us. So, yeah. Super cool. cool. Hints there. Super cool. Yeah. And then, obviously, the implication of that is we are then all inherited into a new era in which we can become temples ourselves yeah. by the power of the mm. Holy Spirit. And that's kind of where we got to with, yeah. with Pentecost. Uh, I think with... Um, Coming to the Spirit, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the first fruits um, mm. of our salvation. So Romans eight twenty three, um, in two Corinthians one twenty two, calls the Spirit a guarantee mm. or a down payment. Yeah, and so the yeah to use NT writes where it's like a signpost. The signpost isn't the destination. Yeah, but it's a way how to get there. So mm. when you're driving to Melbourne, it says, "Oh, you know, you got four hundred k's to go." Okay, mm. I'm not at Melbourne yet, but this is the way to get mm. there. And so, first fruits in a harvest was it wasn't the harvest, but it was mm. the first, as the name suggests, the first fruits that came from it. And so, mm. it was a predictor of the type of harvest mm. you were going to get. Mm. A down payment or a guarantee. If we, we've we've bought a house, yeah. you know, as we both have, you yeah, yeah, put yeah. ten percent, twenty percent down on that <clears throat> that house to it secures ensure, it, yeah, even and, though you don't fully own it yet. Yeah, and so the Holy Spirit is like that. It's like well. God has poured out His Spirit upon us. Yeah. Because the Spirit lives with us. That's a guarantee, okay? We're experiencing just mm. a snapshot mm. of, yeah, that, that imagery of Ezekiel 47, of creation being restored of what the prophets hope for. Mm. That's just a little foretaste, a little foreshadowing. And it's like Jesus' miracles. When He healed someone, they still died. Mm. Lazarus isn't still alive and kicking the... Mm. I was reading this morning in John 9 of the man that was born blind and Jesus rubbing mud in his eyes and mm. yeah, that dude died. Like mm. He's not arrived going, hey, I was healed 2,000 years ago. But they're signposts. This is what mm. like the kingdom will look like. It'll yeah. be a place with no death, no blindness, no physical illness. Mm. And so, yeah, if you and that that's sometimes what you have to cling on to in the midst of difficulties. So my mm. God's poured his spirit out now. I know that we have another helper, advocate, comforter. But I know that there's something, something better in the future. This is just a mm. little deposit, a little guarantee of what is to come. Mm. So what is a, um incorrect way then to view signs mm. um, if it is to be viewed? Um, so if, if yeah. you know, spiritual gifts... Um, supernatural healings, uh, signs and wonders and, and mm. miracles, if they um, are meant to be framed and, and definitely mm. are biblically as first fruits, mm. um, as down payments, as, you know, I think N.T. Wright very mm. soundly theologically expands as a signpost mm. towards something else. What is the way in which we engage with the expectations around that and yeah what 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 how does that inform mm. our praxis as christians yeah. for those who don't know praxis is act it's, it's actually just, the it, greek word yeah, act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean probably a, a less pretentious word would have just been practice <laughs> <laughs> no i like practice we're teaching greek yeah yeah sure <laughs> um 
A big part of it comes from what your theological upbringing is. So some people who yesterday, if you had a real charismatic upbringing, mm. you'd have gone, oh, well, the Holy Spirit, like, that's part and parcel of who we are as Christians. And yep. others haven't got that. So that's a big part too, is sort of recognising we all come from different theological schools. Um, mm. There's a danger, I think, when we come to spiritual gift of something that's called over-realized eschatology, which mm-hmm. is a fancy way of expecting the fullness of God's kingdom here and now. Mm-hmm. Or at the same time, too, an under-realized eschatology is mm-hmm. just assuming God will never act. And coming to that more say, middle ground of recognizing that with God's spirit poured out, Joel, too, when Peter quotes, he didn't just say, like in the type of denomination I grew up, oh, this will only happen for the next 100 years and then it will stop because that's what God used and then God ceased using miracles. Can we have a really, I think, important tangent there? Because that is something which I think a lot of people, you know, this sort of cessationalist, which essentially people who believe that these signs and wonders maybe after the first apostolic fathers died stopped, where maybe would they be getting that theology from? Because I was sort of I, thinking a bit of a, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. Could, yeah, that's yeah. actually what I was about to say yeah. too. Is uh, So I'll go, oh, where there's, you know, prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, and love will cease. Like, oh. yeah. That's not what that passage is saying. Yeah. Cease. Should we quickly read the passage and then maybe yeah. talk about how, um, since you're going to preach oh, on it I do on actually Saturday. Have, yeah, anyway. and funnily <laughs> enough, I have it right here. Um, so it says here... Uh, Move the mic so I can say, yeah, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. The context of that isn't saying, oh, there's an age where miracles will stop. Mm-hmm. It's the context of the Corinthians thought that those who spoke in tongues or prophesied were more spiritual than those sure. who didn't. And Paul's going, man, like, love is the most important thing. It doesn't yeah. matter how many tongues you speak, if you have no love of Jesus in you, yeah, it's pointless. And I say here is he's talking about the ceasing as when Jesus returns. One day when Jesus returns, there won't be a need for sure. tongues and prophecies is because... Yeah, yeah, like, What are you prophesying like, for? Yeah, yeah, Jesus yeah. returned, the kingdom's here yeah, in its fullness. Yeah. So I think yeah. he's ref- just ref- framing that around, hey, remember that this isn't like going to last forever. What's the most important thing is love. And that's yeah. revealed every day. And however the new kingdom looks, yeah. the love of God will see that manifested through yeah. Jesus Christ. So... Yeah. Cool. That's Sorry, that was a little tangent no, so on cessation and, and, yeah. and where some people might get that theology from. Yeah. So that is one side of the coin. And then the other one's the over-realized yeah. eschatology. So expecting the, the fullness of the kingdom here and now. So, yeah, the whole God wants you to be healthy, wealthy. If you're suffering bad things, it's probably because you got sin in your life or you don't have enough faith. Yeah. And Yeah, and... So it would, the expectation for someone in that kind of camp would be God will always bring healing. Mm. God will do miracles. You should expect. And so scripture has a tension is that we should be, when we pray in faith, we should pray expectantly. But I think too, recognizing that sometimes God doesn't heal mm. or answer prayer in a way that we want to. Sure. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now at church with people praying for healing. Yeah, and it's hard to know why that hasn't happened. And I've probably shared from our experience, like, yeah, Asher wasn't miraculously healed. His heart didn't just grow, but he survived. Five things that he never should have. Where, yeah, other kiddies that in hospital at the same time we were, and even some people we knew who had cardiac, a son with a cardiac condition, he passed away. It's like, 
that's hard to yeah. reconcile where you've got a group of Christians praying and God answers it one way and God answers it another way and you're like, ah, that's that's a there's a tension there in that. But you still mm. pray expectantly that God mm. can heal. And yeah, I say that with part of those let's use the lack of it, more charismatic spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I think we should expect God to act mm-hmm. and move. But also recognize too that that's just not what our faith is about, which was mm. the danger in Corinth, is that, yeah, only those that were speaking in tongues were sort of elevated and mm. those that had the lesser, mm-hmm. well, yeah, lesser, and I say in inverted commas, yeah, spiritual yeah, yeah. gifts, yeah. were like, bah, like you're nothing, you're not spiritual enough. Yeah. And that's what Paul is really hammering on. So all these gifts come from one God, the same spirit yeah. who divides them out. It's not like if you've got... Yeah, a certain gift, and it's not tongues, you're somehow less spiritual. Yeah. It's just how God's gifted you that way, and it should yeah. be for building up the body. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's probably... Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh-huh. great. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think a big thing in all of that <clears throat> is this recognition that with Christ, there was a, um, a bringing in of a kingdom mm. that was now and not yet. Yeah, and this is the tension that all four of the gospels show. Mm. And some people, funnily enough, with John, do sort of. Some commentators have criticised him from having a bit of an overrealized eschatology mm. in his gospel compared to the synoptics. Mm. And I think that what John is doing is creating a, just an interesting tension with the synoptics. Yes. Um, and yeah, ultimately, it is this tension that all people need to get the balance of that yeah the kingdom has arrived and he's not yet Mm -hmm. and i read a really interesting thing the other day uh from a commentator nissen he was talking about how in um a recognition of now and not yet we can focus on an idea of time Mm -hmm. and when we see the gospel of john and the way that john frames the sort of incoming inauguration Mm -hmm. of a new kingdom it's actually space Focused, And it's this idea that in moments you almost have these little hot spots of mm. heaven popping up, you know, these sort of like pop-up stalls yeah. of, of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's not this idea that we are living in a tension of, hold on, like, mm. uh, where are we on yeah. this spectrum of time of realization? Mm. It's like, no, like by Nissen's sort of mm. summation. And I, I, I tend to kind of agree with mm. it. You can have, you think of um, the Moravians, right? Yeah. You know, had this phenomenal outpouring well, totally, of the Spirit yeah. where people started speaking in tongues. They saw miracles. We see these moments happen uh, throughout the church. Well, if you don't know, the Moravians yeah. were a Dutch, I think it's Dutch, they were a missionary group that like did yeah, yeah, some yeah. wild things. I think it's 18 sort of yeah, yeah, century. Yeah, yeah. They, went, they had like a prayer meeting for 100 years straight. So, yeah. yeah. Google, Google search Moravian. the Moravians. Yeah, You'll fantastic have stuff. Have a good time. But just this idea that we see these things happening and even the idea that um, Jesus, by coming incarnate as a person and making his dwelling among mm. us, this is this idea of it's pointing back to the tabernacle yeah. where in the Old Testament, the outpouring of God's mm. Holy Spirit was actually location-based, mm. not time-based. Yeah. It wasn't time that was defining it. It was mm. physical space that was yeah. defining it. And I think that like informs so much about our eschatology because mm. one, it says that a incoming of God's kingdom is physical and material mm. and space driven. And it's this idea that it's not on a spectrum of time, but on a spectrum of space. I just think for me, that was a mm. just paradigm shifting yeah, way right. to view how the Holy mm. Spirit can work. So then I think when we look at these spiritual gifts and, you know, let's talk about Pentecost. Mm. 
we see this as a special moment on which the Holy Spirit is coming down, uh, like, you know, tongues of fire, and they start mm. speaking these types of tongues. Uh, and, yeah, we can talk about a bit about mm. that in a second, but I just thought that that was a really helpful way to mm. think about it. And I think you see in different parts of the world God's kingdom growing with, like, crazy miracles. Mm. And there was an old preacher I used to listen to from time to time called Leonard Ravenhill. He's been dead a long time. So he's, he's English or, or British, I don't know. He's, anyway, he's from that part of the world. And he'd talk about stories from, like, people having, like, their arms, like, limbs regrow. With mir- like, and Leonard Ravenhill wasn't a raging mm. Pentecostal charismatic. Mm. He was quite straighty down the... And so I always say there's times even within the early... 20th century when God was still doing things mm-hmm. and that's um, yeah and today recognising that there's parts of the world where that's how God's kingdom grows missionaries call it power encounters mm-hmm. where if you're in a real world with lots of demoniac you're mm-hmm. going to see God mm-hmm. operate in a way that needs yeah. to counter the power of the gods I, we were in Laos I remember missionaries telling us um, there was this village which had what was called a cursed lake and if you stepped into that lake you would die and the Christians, what, this one of the guys in the village being a Christian went in the lake and didn't die. And they go, what? You walked on water. Uh, essentially, <laughs> they yeah. just couldn't believe. And yeah, other times, like the, these same missionaries were telling us stories of entering a village. And this demon appeared in the form of an old man saying, what are you doing in my village? Get out. Like that's type of like weirdo, bizarre stuff that yeah. you read about in in like Old Testament, yeah, yeah, Lish, yeah. Elijah, Elisha. And, but over there, the that's the type of stuff that needs to happen. Like we're mm-hmm. here in the West, it's more about oh, is God real? We, it's a different sort of spiritual mm-hmm. battle, and mm-hmm. so yeah, mm-hmm. that's how I see yeah God's spirit working. But that's not to say there's miracles that happen. Mm-hmm. I think all the time, but perhaps mm-hmm. we just don't know about totally God. Well, miracles in the sense of actually, I like John Walton's quote. He says, "All our life is supernatural. It's created by God, and sometimes God just." comes into that so he, he, yeah. he says he goes no such thing as natural because supernatural God created us yeah. God created this world but so good yeah, yeah he goes we just see sometimes God entering into our natural space mm. in a way that yeah. we see as supernatural yeah and I think that perfectly mm. summarizes you know your f- mm. sort of final thought that it's not that the spirit makes us greater than human it actually mm. makes us fully human yeah. that the original vision was with Adam and Eve to be filled with the spirit mm. to be in perfect relationship yeah. with God which I think is really cool mm. um, we did sort of promise that we're going to take a couple of seconds to talk yeah. about spiritual gifts a bit more um, I think that yeah this moment at Pentecost can be a bit confusing. Mm. I think you did a brilliant job pointing it back to the reversal of Babel Mm. and this idea of a fulfillment of Micah 4.2 that Mm. many nations will come together, Mm. you know, from all different languages and creeds. Um, But there is, um, you know, I I spent way too many hours writing it, so I may may as well kind of look at it. Um, There was a cool, um, yeah, kind of essay that I was able to work on last semester at Mauling as going through 1 Corinthians. And again, I think just for your own studies, um, if, you know, looking a bit more at what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians, sort of, you know, 12 to 14, Mm -hmm. and 2 Corinthians, uh, kind of, what's the the kind of... chapter of 2 Corinthians where it's quite I think it's 2 Corinthians maybe 13 as well I've got it here where is it I had it at the beginning here it's 
Yeah, one one yeah, two Corinthians, yeah, twelve. Um and one Corinthians sort of twelve to fourteen. Yep. They they I mean look, read the whole letters. It's really yeah, not look, that long. They're, they're not be, that long, yeah, no. They're designed to be read in one sitting, yes. so I'm sure you can get into it. But yeah, I think that I first want to state that that mm. the Bible first go to go to what Paul has to say to the yep. Corinthians around um spiritual gifts. But this idea of tongues and the gift mm. of tongues can seem a bit of a sort of messy one for a lot of people. Um, And I think what's really interesting with Pentecost is we see a unique type of tongues is what Mm. most commentators seem to say, Um, which ultimately is a spiritual gift of people speaking other languages, other earthly languages. Um, And that this is maybe, in fact, most scholars are saying not, the same type of tongues that Paul is writing about to the Corinthians. Mm. So let's unpack that for a second. Um, There's, you know, a a bunch of different uh, views and opinions on how to break down the gift of tongues into categories. Um, But yeah, I think a really helpful way is there's three big families. And the first one is angelic speech, which Paul Mm. writes about in 1 Corinthians, this idea of you're speaking, you know, the the language of angels. Um, There's another one, which is what we see at Pentecost in Acts, which is miraculous power to speak other languages. Um, And Paul doesn't seem to address that in his letter to the Corinthians because the idea is as people come up the front, People don't understand what they're saying. And that's not what happens at Acts because, you know, God's people start speaking ethnic languages Mm. that aren't their own. And there are people there who understand it. There's no need for a translator. Mm. So this idea of angelic speech and needing a translator Mm. is seen different to Mm. one of speaking an earthly language. There's a third one, which I hadn't really come across before, but there's quite a lot of um, old, old temple writings, which point towards a meditative practice of what they said, liturgical rhythmic praises and phrases. So it's this idea that in speaking what would be, you know, babble, (laughs) it's actually not a language at all. And this is its own kind of category that Mm. some scholars put tongues into or a type of tongues into, that it's not claiming to be angelic speech. It's not claiming to be an ethnic speech of any type. Mm. It is a form of meditation in the same way that someone might do Pilates, you know, to sort of get more into their body for meditation, that there's this babbling that can be really helpful in a liturgical setting in a sort of you know meditative Mm. practice for faith so i found that really helpful and i think that the big thing of pentecost does seem to be seen as a exception Uh, and i think a lot of that points Mm. to the fact that at this moment the holy spirit has just come on the church in a Mm. new and profound way and ultimately the idea is there is a supreme miraculous outpouring of the spirit that is sort of unprecedented both Mm. before and after that time and we kind of see that and something that i'll be sharing a bit about on sunday in another moment um but we see throughout the bible in new seasons of god's people um that his spirit moves in unprecedented Mm. ways both unprecedented previously and moving into the future Mm. that's one popular opinion there are others but that was one that i found gave me a really strong foundation Mm. understanding of how to properly categorize and also almost you know reconcile with this moment in acts because it's Mm. confusing (laughs) it is yeah um 
it's it's uh, i had some notes um on xenoglossia yeah and like that said from this journal article found early pentecostals actually when they started doing mission work mm. tried to use xenoglossia so they're speaking human languages yeah and the quote has here, says here, have the missionaries reported disappointment when they found that they could not preach in native languages that they'd believed they'd received via the Spirit. So yeah. uh, whatever tongues are speaking is probably more glossia, some yeah. sort of angelic language and not the language of the people. And so yeah. I have heard from one missionary in Vanuatu, a PNG, I can't remember now, when I first started college 10 years ago, that they'd heard a report of a Christian in their village kind of like the spirit took them over they went and preached to because you know in these yeah. remote tribal villages there's hundreds of dialects spoke to this this village in a language that they didn't know they said all I knew was people started crying repenting and like, I, like this person had no idea like what yeah. they actually said so yeah. but they said that's really rare like you don't hear that too often it's yeah. more of a yeah there's some pretty disappointing studies around tongues yeah. as they're out and one of the I suppose for me I've always had a bit of a uh, skepticism around tongues, probably because of the type of people I met who claimed to speak it. Yeah, and I heard stories of people going to like various Pentecostal churches who just make it up mm. so they could fit in. And it's like, well, yeah. if you're making it up, how many others are making it up? And yeah. so, yeah, rather than, and I have heard people pray, and I don't know that you do too. I have heard, and I'm like, oh, that seems like quite genuine when mm. they're do when they're doing it. But yeah, like. But they're not showboating. Mm -hmm. That was the difference. Like this lady I'm thinking about, whenever it was a prayer meeting, she did it quite silently. Mm -hmm. Like you could hear mm -hmm. her, but it wasn't like trying to take over the prayer meeting, trying to showboat her skills. Mm -hmm. It was just almost like between her and God mm -hmm. as she was praying and getting. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I felt like that was, yeah, I could see the value in that for her. Yeah. Like she found that very encouraging. And yeah. Whereas, yeah, like the whole, and this is what 1 Corinthians 13 was really about. It's like not just standing up and showing like, how spiritual I am. I yes. can speak. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's been edifying. Or between you and God, just to help yeah. you like feel closer to, yeah. to Jesus. And I think like that's, that's how Paul frames it, that when speaking in tongues in an angelic sense, that it is for self-edification mm. ultimately. And that's yeah. why he says, I, I wish all of you would prophesy because yeah. that's a gift that's going to edify the church yeah. rather than yourselves. Which is interesting language, prophesy. Mm. Because... When I was at college, they defined that as preaching. I was like, I don't know if I'd de describe prophecy mm. as preaching. I think that's a limited definition. I think it is. I, I think like, that, like preaching can have prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I always read that as my prophesying, like like getting a word from the Lord mm. for the church to encourage mm. them forward. Totally. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love, I love that definition of prophecy of speaking God's truth into a specific moment. Mm. I think that's helpful. But look, all of this stuff is still a journey and an adventure yeah. and one that the Holy Spirit is inviting us yeah. into. And I think that's the exciting yeah. thing yeah, that, yeah. you know, we were talking off air about how Jesus himself says, you know, who of you who asked their father for a good gift would mm. give, you know, an egg or a scorpion, this idea that we are encouraged and invited by Jesus mm to ask the Holy Spirit for gifts, mm. ask the Father for gifts mm. through the Holy Spirit. And yeah, that's something that I'd encourage, yeah, maybe someone listening today to be bold in this mm. week in their prayers to, if you really feel convicted and encouraged to ask God for a specific gift, ask. Mm. And hey, as we've mm. said, God doesn't always answer the same way yeah. for each person. Yeah. Um, but and, yeah. and then too, with that caveat of recognizing that if you desperately want the gift of tongues per se and you don't get it, you still have a spiritual gift. Yeah. Like you're not less spiritual yeah. somehow. 
Totally. Yeah, and totally. I think that's important too. Is that I've never felt the need for the gift of tongues. I yeah. know others have. And I think yeah. That's cool. Like, yeah. Oh, one totally. lady was actually like horrified one day when I said, I don't pray in tongues, but, you, but you're a pastor. So, well, I've got the gift. doesn't worry me. I yeah. don't need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know others do. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. So. No, I know Francis Chan has spoken quite publicly about this, how yeah. many times he's sort of begged God for the gift of yeah. tongues and just hasn't happened. Yeah, so I think most people would say Francis Chan, pretty spiritual dude. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know. <laughs> Definitely not an indictment <laughs> yeah. on him yeah. as a pastor yeah. or a preacher. So, yeah, look, it's complicated. It and is complicated. Isn't it great that we worship a God who's beyond our full understanding? It is, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, I think, like... To, to round like all that off, it comes back. We you kind of said it earlier. What what Stephen Guthrie says is the Spirit makes us mm. fully human. Mm. And yeah, I just yeah, that Galatians four six passage which we finished on yesterday. Quite trinitarian because you are His sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba Father. I think that is the key thing to take away. Mm. Is remember that in all this we are sons of God, mm. and because of God's Spirit through Jesus Christ we can call out to God as Father. And that's, mm. yeah, I, that's so deeply comforting to mm. know that in a world that's very, very uncertain. And yeah, it's, yeah, all, all these promises of God's spirit, it's fantastic to study and to do all that. But like at the end of the day, if you forget all what we've spoken about banter, just remember that, hey, because of that God is a trinity, mm. we have the ability to call out if each person mm. is there working yeah, together mm. like in this way that we can't comprehend. So mm. we receive yeah, salvation, redemption, life, renewal, and hope. Um, Come on, yeah. preach it. No, Love good. it. Well, Mitch, yeah. we did it. We, we did it. I got through the Trinity <laughs> with our brain, with our sanity. <laughs> with, I'm sure maybe more questions than yeah. we started with, but that's that's a great thing. Yeah. It's it's the uh, wonder of life that the more you learn, the more you realize you, you don't, don't know. know. And that's why right. it's a lifelong journey. That's it. Yeah. Well, we're we're taking a little uh, yeah break from a series over the mm. next two weeks. I'm uh, coming at you this Sunday with. What I would say, um, before I got into a deep dive on it, was the most confusing passage of the Bible. <laughs> that's the that's the little taster for you. So, yeah, come along. But uh, thanks for, uh, yeah. yeah, the chat. No, thank you. Thank you for the... It's been lovely to do banter. Extra banters. That's it. That's it. For... And we'll uh, see you Sunday. See you Sunday, everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.